Bread comes in many different varieties, but the only bread that nourishes our souls, hearts, and lives is Jesus Christ. Bread of Life is sponsored by the Bread of Life Fellowship of Boise, Idaho. You can contact us by calling us at 208-331-4096. That number again is 208-331-4096. Join us now for the Bread of Life. Here's Joel Van Hoogen. The way of salvation is surprising. God comes to the spiritually blind and gives them sight, to the spiritually dead and gives them a heart to feel for Him, to the spiritually lost and He finds them, not in a moment of personal enlightenment, but when we were groping in the dark. Our salvation story is a most surprising account. It is much like the story we'll learn today from the life of Rahab the harlot. Hebrews 11, verse 31. Another very short passage, similar to the passage we spoke on the last time I was here on verse 30 on Jericho. Actually, we're following up on the idea of Jericho, and we read about it in Joshua chapter 2. Joshua sent out two spies to do a reconnaissance trip through the area to find out what the lay of the land is, look at where the strategic parts and points are where they need to apply their efforts to take conquest of the land of Canaan, and particularly he directs them towards Jericho. Which, by the way, is just kind of an interesting thing. Oftentimes, and I'll just say this before we read this passage, when we take up God's call upon our life or we enter into any day or or the week or in our work to serve Him, I would advise you that you focus on the main things, that you apply your life to the strategic targets in life where you can be used of God and be effective for God's ministry. And in conquering Canaan, God doesn't begin on some little skirmish on the outside of town. He goes right to the heart, the central place. Let's take town Jericho, and then we're going to open up the pathways into the rest of Canaan. And there's a lesson for us there. We can't pick around the edges in our life. You look in your own life at the areas where you think the enemy is posing his greatest threat and where you have the greatest challenge. You look in the area where you believe God is calling you to be faithful as a witness to him. Take on the big challenges and the central challenges in life. Don't just skirt around the edges. And God will be with you and God will power you. You'll notice in Joshua 2, which we had during our scripture reading, that it begins by Rahab lying in order to hide the spies. And I just want to tell you that that is not a recommendation. Here's a strategy for your lives if you want to do God's purpose. Just lie in order to, you know, follow God and pursue it. That's not it. It's a sign of a woman who has come to faith out of a dark place and she hasn't shed off all of the darkness of her life and yet God is still willing to use her and work in her life and be gracious to her and he works through all of that still. And so it's just a story of where the Bible meets us and where God meets us and where God finds us in our sin and from the point at which he takes us. And oftentimes we take our strategies into that sin. It just reminds me of a man that my father led to Christ, and his name was John Davis. John Davis was a gambler. He had a gun shop where he'd meet with all the men in the community, and they'd sit around, and then from there they'd arrange where they'd go gambling. And he was a gambler, and he made a lot of money gambling. And after he came to Christ and he was wonderfully saved, he was bringing large donations to the church from his Saturday night winnings. (laughs) And it lasted for a little while until he realized that that wasn't God's plan and that God's purpose. And he stopped going out and gambling, but he didn't stop giving and being amazingly generous. In fact, one of the most generous men, it was a gift that God gave him, he gave to the church. And so that's where you find Rahab there. It's not recommending lying anymore than we'd recommend that you go out gambling on Saturday night in order to give to the church. 
But uh, there's where we find ourselves with Rahab. That's kind of what we were talking about. Let's look at verse 31 and let me read it. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not. That's the old King James. When she had received the spies with peace. God had chosen Israel to be his people. They would be people who would realize his mercy and his grace, and thus they would be a people who were redeemed from their slavery and brought into a relationship with God. To this people, a number of promises were given to them, including promises of a great inheritance and of a blessing that would expand from them or to them and then from them to the ends of the earth. And now, in our story, they're coming into the place where they're going to claim and realize at least a portion of that inheritance in the promised land of Canaan. The Jews, the Israelites, had an expectation of relationship with God, of mercy and forgiveness from God, of the inheritance of a geographical kingdom, of worldwide influence, of blessing that would extend out from them to the earth. Those are the Israelites. And now you have the story of Rahab, and she's not an Israelite. She's a Canaanite. She's as a Canaanite, an idolater, and she's living among idolaters. And out of her society, she has found her designation by the Jews, by the Israelites, as a prostitute or a harlot. She's actually mentioned five times in the book of Joshua. In three of those verses, she's referred to or designated as Rahab the harlot. She's mentioned three times in the New Testament, and in two of those references, she's again referred to as Rahab the harlot. Her past sinful occupation is noted. To give you a little of sympathy or understanding for Rahab, uh, recently I read an article by a woman named Carol McQuillan regarding her experience spending two years in the African nation of Senegal in the early 1970s in the Peace Corps. She wrote of the morality of the people of that nation and how entirely different it was from the morality that we have in our own country. And among the differences, she noted that the men of Senegal, Muslim men of Senegal, would have at least four wives and that each tended to themselves the work to sustain their lives and provided for themselves. And each one of them lived in their own home and did the, all the work to exist. And the men basically lazed around throughout the day. And then the men would basically run a circuit from one wife to the next, visiting throughout the season or throughout the week or throughout the months. She wrote, quote, love and friendship and marriage were a Western idea and fidelity was not a thing, end quote. She then tells us that these married women frequently prostituted themselves for a few cents to have as cash for the marketplace. I don't think that it's unreasonable to believe that this is the kind of nation that Rahab lived in. And this is the kind of environment in which her life was cultivated and developed and her life was conditioned. As a Canaanite, Rahab lived outside the promises of God and was facing the judgment that God had pronounced upon the Canaanite people. Actually, her life is a reflection of what Paul speaks of, of all people who are outside of Jesus Christ in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. It describes the life of all people outside of Jesus Christ, and it is a description of where we would have found Rahab before she came to faith. It says there that we were our being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants and the promises, having no hope 
and without God in the world. That's Rahab's life. That's Rahab's environment. That's the condition in which she was raised, and that's the people that she lives among. And Rahab's conversion to God and faith results in her being brought into the people of Israel. If you go to Joshua chapter 6, you'll read, it says that she is with the people of Israel, and she still is to this day. She's brought among the people of Israel. She becomes the wife of a prince of Judah. She becomes the mother of Boaz, who is the hero of the book of Ruth. She, as a result, becomes, Boaz is the grandfather of Jesse. She's the grandmother of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David. Rahab the harlot becomes a queen in Israel and a forebearer of David. And she's mentioned in the lineage of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a great story, a wonderful story and a wonderful account. And so she's given honor and she's given honor in this passage. Rahab's story, by the way, has an ecclesiological, it has a message for the church. It has a missiological application. It has a message to the work of the church. It has an eschatological message. It speaks of the future of the church and of the people of God. Rahab's story is a demonstration of God's intent to bring to himself those from the Gentile world, those who lay outside the people of Israel. Rahab is a type of those who were called into the church in our day and age from every tongue and every tribe and every nation. And what does the Bible say about these? That all of these will gather around the throne of our Lord Jesus Christ to worship Him. In the end, God takes us who are not a people of God and makes us into a nation of kings and priests. And that is Rahab's story. And Rahab's story has a personal application because that's our story as well. Romans 11 tells us that the people of Israel are the natural branches in God's redemptive plan and that they're grafted into the promises or into the tree which I would understand to be Jesus Christ. Through Him flows all the promises to God's people and they're the natural branches in this great tree of redemption and yet in that passage Paul tells us that some of these natural branches because of their rebellion are taken out of that tree and grafted into that tree are unnatural or wild branches that don't originally belong there. And God, by grace, brings them into and grasps them into His promises, into His redemptive work, into Christ. And we're those wild, unnatural branches. And God's saving of Rahab demonstrates that His salvation is not just for a single people, but that reaches to the ends of the earth and Rahab was one of the first wild branches who was grafted into the tree of promise and salvation. And what God did for Rahab, God has done for us as well. Her story is our story. What I want you to see this morning as we look at her story is, and as we look at the story of her faith is how very surprising it is. If you study your story, you'll see that there's any number of observations that are stunning and wonderful, and our minds can imaginatively go in a number of different places. But I want you just to note three things, and you'll see them somewhat outlined in the verse that we read in Hebrews 11, verse 31. The first thing is this, Rahab had faith. 
The second thing is that she had faith while surrounded by unbelieving individuals who were ready to perish or who were perishing. And the third thing is that her faith immediately was active and expressive, and all these things are quite surprising. The fact that she had faith, and this is the first thing, the fact that Rahab had faith in itself is a very surprising thing. Rahab had come to faith out of the moral blindness and darkness of her own sin, and while surrounded by the spiritual blindness and darkness of the idolatrous and wicked people that she lived among, and people that God had uniquely at this very point in time and history set aside for wrath, his wrath, and his destruction. And here's the marvelous thing in this. She comes to this faith without ever encountering the Jewish people. She comes to this faith before she ever encounters an Israelite. While she's living in this city that has from generation to generation been building up God's judgment. Actually, earlier, God revealed to Abraham that the nation of Israel would go away and be outside of the promised land for 400 years because the sins of the occupants of the land of Canaan had not come to a full cup. In other words, for 400 years, God was granting mercy to them, but during that time in which God was granting mercy to them, they were simply filling up the cup of their iniquity, and now the cup is full, and God is going to judge them. This is the environment or place where Rahab lives, and it's in this place that she comes to faith. Thanks for joining us for Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.